Welcome to the Friday Fight Day edition of Couch Potato Diary. I'm Peter Klein. Thank you very much for downloading and listening today. Rate, review, subscribe wherever possible. If you have any comments on the show, you can send them my way on Twitter at PrimetimeKlein. Same thing for Instagram. You can also email the show at CouchPotatoDiary at Yahoo.com. That is CouchPotatoDiary at Yahoo.com. All right, we are into the fighting portion of the week. Love to do these breakdowns every Friday. We got a lot to get to on the show today. We're going to start with WWE WrestleMania Backlash as we break this card down. Going to go into the UFC 262 preview. Quite frankly, I was planning on doing this in reverse order, but we're still waiting on some dude to weigh in at the, the UFC as I'm recording this. So the WWE gets top Billing. Quickly, forgot to mention off the top, but the music for the show provided by Wasted Talent. Find them on Instagram, Wasted Talent. X's where the A's would be. You can also find their producer, Tommy Fresh, on Instagram, at Tommy Fresh Music. New song out, Drowning. Great, great track. Uh, find it wherever you get your music. So, WrestleMania Backlash. On Wikipedia, there are only six matches scheduled for this. I would imagine we get a Bit of a change to that with the Intercontinental Championship uh, being featured at some point. I don't know if we're going to get the the Raw Tag Team titles or the the Women's Tag Team titles defended on this show. But one thing that I do think WWE should get some credit for. Over the last, like really during the the pandemic era, if they're not going to make a show four hours just to make a show four hours. If there's only six pay-per-view worthy kind of feuds going on then you're going to get six pay-per-view matches. And I think that should be commended instead of trying to shoehorn a couple of other things in here. And uh, as of right now, again, like I said, only six matches on the Wikipedia page. If a couple more get put in there, I don't think it's the the most offensive thing. But I kind of like that the WWE has smartened up a little bit in terms of show length. And if a show has to only be two and a half hours then a show's only going to be two and a half hours. And I think that is absolutely the way to go about things. You, you don't need to make a four-hour match to, or a four-hour show just because that's how long pay-per-views are supposed to be. It doesn't have to be that way. So let, let's get into this card. Damian Priest against The Miz in a Lumberjack match. I wonder if this is kind of the end of this feud and the beginning of of The Miz against Morrison, uh, Johnny Drip Drip, as he so lovingly calls himself. Um, Just a quick comment. I am not a huge fan of Morrison's comedy. I I wish he was a bit more serious because I I think he has like world champion written all over him. And he's been that in every other company that he has been in, except for WWE. And WWE just insists all the time on turning him into whatever the hell this is. But I laughed out loud when he said uh, he, Johnny Drip Drip, uh, was the moist sea WWE superstar of all time. Legitimately laughed out loud at that. I I thought that was fantastic. Um, If you are so inclined on doing the wrestling wagering thing, um, Damian Priest coming in at minus 500. I I think that the odds makers have that one right. Damian Priest should get the win in this match. I hope this is the end of this feud and we can pivot Priest off into something else, and we can pivot Miz and Morrison into a bit more of a, a serious role. But I, I like Damian Priest. I think the the time on this feud, though, has come to an end, and I would like to see him in something else. The SmackDown Tag Team titles on the line. They're uh, the Dirty Dogs of Dolph Ziggler and Robert Roode take on the Mysterios, Ray and Dominic, as the WWE has liked to inform us. They, uh, they being the Mysterios, are looking to become the first father-son tag team to win the tag team championships in WWE history. And I think that's where they're going to go. Oddsmakers would suggest that as well. You can get the Mysterios at minus 180 on Bodog right now. I have enjoyed the Dirty Dogs more than I was expecting to. I think Robert Roode is another one who should be in championship matches. And I I think they've done, though, a pretty good job with the SmackDown Tag Team titles, making them seem important. And credit the the Dirty Dogs for that. And the WWE could always use more quality tag teams. And I think they have one in in Roode and Ziggler. So I like like the idea of keeping them together. But I like that. it, It would just be cool to have Ray and Dominic get the, the SmackDown Tag Team titles. So I have no problem with that. I wonder if we get any kind of inclusion from the, the Raw Tag Team titles. Omos 
just doesn't seem ready yet. And they are giving him a lot of opportunities. And maybe that he is one where I think he would benefit from house shows coming back. I, I think he just needs more experience than once a week in a live setting. So I, I think that once house shows come back, and we'll see to what extent house shows do actually come back, but I think Omos needs a bit more seasoning, both on the mic and in the ring. Like I said, that there's no U.S. title or intercontinental uh, title representation right now on this card for, for WrestleMania Backlash. I don't know if we get anything with Sheamus and Humberto Carrillo. Maybe we do. Um, maybe Mansoor pops in as well. But either way, I, I would anticipate Sheamus is showing up on Monday Night Raw with the United States title, regardless of what they end up doing. And on the, the IC title side, I, I wonder... Because they've been kind of teasing things with Kevin Owens and Big E and with Sami Zayn. We're obviously taping this before SmackDown tonight. I, I wonder if there's some form of a four-way that is set up. But I'm kind of liking uh, Apollo's character. I I'm liking it more than I was expecting to. And, and I just... I, I said this about the the Universal title on SmackDown. I, I think they're doing a very good job of it in AEW with the World Heavyweight Championship as well. But I, I think for, for SmackDown, they've done a very good job of making a shot at the Intercontinental Championship seem like a big deal. And even if it is only a singles match for the IC title, and then you have a separate singles match kind of spinning off from that, I think that raising up the IC title ranks now means something. And that is something that is greatly missing on Raw. And I don't want to go too far into Raw. I found it to be an okay, rather digestible show. But again, nothing nothing stands out. And I guess that's, that's kind of where I'm at for everything when it comes to Raw on this pay-per-view. If you had just watched WrestleMania, and now you are just tuning back in for this... What really have you missed that you, you can't pick up in the quick video package? Oh, Charlotte Flair is back and she talked her way into the championship thing. Okay. Uh, Braun Strowman is back uh, in the title picture and it's now a triple threat match against McIntyre and Bobby Lashley. And we'll get into the build for that in a little bit, which is frustrating. But th there has not been anything on Raw that if I just tuned back in for this pay-per-view, I'd be like, oh man. I can't believe I missed it. I need to get back to watching Raw every Monday. It's just, it's not happening right now. It is a very, very stale show. I will say there's been criticism, obviously, of the, the commentary. I think Adnan's getting better every week. Obviously, I'm a big fan of his just as a, a human being. I think for what the WWE is going to ask him to do, I think he is going to be very, very good at it. And I, I still believe that. And I, I think you are seeing improvements with him week after week after week as he's getting more comfortable week after week after week. So I, I'm... I am optimistic that this experiment, both from a WWE perspective and for Adnan as well, uh, I think it is going to eventually work out. The Raw Women's Championship on the line in a triple threat match as Rhea Ripley defends her championship against Asuka and Charlotte Flair. This will be the first title defense for Rhea Ripley, and the odds makers are suggesting it will not be her last. She comes in as a minus 175 favorite. Charlotte Flair at plus 200 in the as the underdog. And Asuka, the biggest long shot on th or in this particular match at plus 650. I have not been a huge fan of the build of this. Nothing about this has felt important. And we had Rhea Ripley against Asuka on Monday, and it just felt like a nothing match. And that was a match that was at WrestleMania. And you have two incredibly dominant figures coming from NXT, and you have them here, and it's just it felt very blah, and it just felt like a match. Like, there was no reason for Asuka to be put in that match. And I get they're telling a bigger story with Charlotte Flair and Sonya Deville, but it, it is coming at the expense of the Raw Women's Championship, and I, I do not like that. And I feel like Rhea Ripley has been very underwhelming so far. The, the promos that they are getting her to cut, it, it does not... She does not seem like the same... Rhea Ripley like this this is like going from WWE 2k19 to 2k20 and there's like six people who get that reference but you have WWE 2k20 that was crisp it was sharp it was awesome and then 2k20 uh sorry 2k19 was crisp sharp and awesome 2k20 is just kind of bland and personality less and that's kind of where we're at with Rhea Ripley that this she comes out to screamo music and she just felt like a badass in NXT. And every time she's cutting a promo in WWE, it is getting harder and harder to take her as a badass. And the Oscar character, I, I think, needs a bit of rehab as she doesn't really feel like the same dominant force. And it's one thing to 
kind of have the character that she has that is a little bit weird and a little bit out there when she's kicking a whole lot of ass. But when she's not, it is extremely difficult to take her seriously. I feel like this feud has done everyone a little bit more harm than good, and that is obviously never a good thing. The SmackDown Women's Championship on the line with Bianca Belair defending her title against Bailey. Bianca, the biggest favorite on this card, at minus 950, with Bailey coming in at plus 525. And the I would very much back up the odds on that one. That this is not going to be a quick title reign for Bianca Belair, although I I, I haven't really got into this feud as much as I thought I would. I do not like the Bailey character even a little bit, and to have this be the first feud after where, like, the big thing is Bailey's laughing at her, it, it just, I, I think that there was a story to tell with Bailey and Bianca that just is not being told, and I, I haven't, I haven't really felt that momentum from Bianca Belair coming off of the, the monumental WrestleMania win. I, I think it's very easy to quickly pick that back up, but it, it feels like they're kind of trying to be on a couple or be on both sides of the fence with Bianca where she is still kind of like that, the, the badass and the EST of WWE, but they're also trying to make her a little bit almost happier now. And it, it's just, it's not, it's not really working. The, the character has become a little bit softer than I, I would personally like it to be. I, I kind of want her to, to win this one very emphatically and continue her title reign on SmackDown. The Universal Championship on the line as Roman Reigns defends uh, against Cesaro. Cesaro getting this match after a win over Seth Rollins last Friday. I have loved the buildup for this. I love everything about the Roman Reigns character. I will make no apologies for that. I I think that he has been the best thing in WWE since he has come back. And I was never as big of a Roman Reigns hater. I would groan at some of the Roman Reigns stuff only because... I would then have to deal with the Roman Reigns hater stuff, and that was frustrating. And there were times where they were just flat out, I I think, using him wrong. But I I do think that this is a perfect, perfect character for him. And I I love how they've built up Cesaro. And they they made last Friday feel like, hey, this is the biggest match of this guy's career as he is working towards a title. And he feels like a legitimate title challenger now. I do think he is going to fall, and I do believe the odds reflect that as Roman Reigns comes in at minus 600 with Cesaro at plus 350 on Bodog. Roman's going to get the win here. The bigger story is with him and with the Usos, and I I legitimately have no idea where that is going to go. I think Jimmy Uso could be a single star. I I think he has all the makings of it. Jey Uso has done a lot better with this singles role than I was anticipating. I kind of thought, I don't think either of them is going to get to Shawn Michaels' status, and I don't think any of them would fall to Marty Jannetty's status, but I I thought of the two, Jay was the Marty, and he has shown that he can hang in, um, pardon the pun off of his character now, but in main event roles. And so I I am more fascinated at where this goes from here than what this match is going to end up being, but I think this is going to be another good showcase for Cesaro and another opportunity for him to just kind of stay in the main event picture on SmackDown. And finally, the Raw Championship, uh, the WWE Championship on the line as Bobby Lashley, your champion, defends against Drew McIntyre and Braun Strowman. If you think the champion is going to retain, he is coming in at minus 190. Drew McIntyre at plus 200 and Braun Strowman, the biggest underdog on the card, uh, literally and figuratively, coming in at plus 800. I have hated the build for this, and it has been very paint-by-numbers, and you you look at what you could have. You have Drew McIntyre won his WWE Championship, his WrestleMania moment, in front of, like, six camera people, and then he comes back to WrestleMania the next year, loses the title, like, just within weeks of the showcase of the Immortals, gets his title opportunity back, and then loses. There is such an amazing story to be told with that. Instead, we're messing around with Mace and T-Bar for a couple of weeks, and that ends up going nowhere, although I'm guessing that pops up again here at the pay-per-view. But there is such an amazing story to be told where I had this great opportunity, or I had this great moment, but it didn't really feel like a great moment. And I had a chance to get that back, and I lost. And you could have Bobby Lashley and MVP kind of telling a story to Drew McIntyre, like, hey, this is your last shot, dude. Like, we beat you for the title, we beat you again, We don't think you should be in this match a third time, but you are getting this opportunity. This is your last crack at this. Again, there's those stakes. 
that are involved. And now Braun Strowman enters the fold. And you spend all of your go-home show trying to figure out, hey, is Braun going to be teaming up with Bobby Lashley? That's something you do two weeks into the feud, not six days before the show. There was... It just feels like there is no importance placed on the WWE Championship. And again, it's the same problem I come back to with Raw week after week after after week. It Nothing feels important right now. And this, you have three large men going into this match. And I'm excited to see how this match actually plays out. But this story shouldn't be this hard. But instead, it was just very formulaic where, okay, all these guys are going to wrestle each other in various singles matches. And that's fine. But there was, that was the story. That was it. There was no other background behind it aside from, hey, will Braun join Bobby Lashley? Of fucking course he's not. If you've watched wrestling for five years, you know that's not going to happen. It was just, it felt very lazy. And it was incredibly frustrating because I really like Bobby Lashley. I really like Drew McIntyre. I kind of like Braun Strowman. And MVP as a mouthpiece for this whole thing would be part, like, there are so many different ways you can go with these combinations. And they went none of them. They went no ways. They just went, this is a triple threat match. The WWE Championship is on the line. On SmackDown right now, you have Roman Reigns saying, like, I need this to continue to, like, make that money to help support our family. And it's also the the unspoken, um, I guess, nature of it, where you have Roman Reigns who needs this championship to justify the arrogance of being the head of the table and to continue to have people to acknowledge him. There is that, that subtext to this whole thing as well. With Bobby Lashley and Drew McIntyre and Braun Strowman, there's none of it. There, there's literally nothing in this. It, it's... Braun wants to be involved in this match because it's for a shiny thing and Drew McIntyre lost and he wants to get it back and Bobby Lashley just wants to dominate. Like there's no one has made the title feel as important as Roman Reigns on SmackDown right now. And this is where I push back on some of the criticism of Triple H from back in the, I guess we're calling it the ruthless aggression era. For sure have Booker T beat him at WrestleMania 19. I'm not saying that. But I thought that character made the world title seem important because everything around the Triple H character was around, I need to be the world heavyweight champion. There is none of that on Raw right now. None of these people feel like they need to have the WWE Championship because it is the WWE Championship and because of the importance that comes with it. It, it almost feels like they just think, okay, well, it's WWE Championship. We don't need to put anything on it. You need to make this thing feel... Like, it's the most fucking important thing that these guys have ever fought for in their entire lives. And it just, it doesn't feel that way. I think Bobby gets the win. I think he retains. And hopefully, we get better storytelling from the WWE moving forward. Couch Potato Diary provided by Wasted Talent. Check out their new song, Drowning, available everywhere. You can find them on Instagram at Wasted Talent with X's where the A's would be. UFC 262 coming to you from a jam-packed Toyota Center in Houston, Texas. I do believe that it is full capacity and everything is a go. So we'll see about that. But again, not going to place COVID restrictions here on things in the States. Obviously, it is going a little bit smoother down there than it is here as of this point. The main event is Charles Oliveira defending the, or not, sorry, not defending, going for the vacant lightweight championship against Michael Chandler, Tony Ferguson taking on Benil Dariush in the night's co-main event. Going to go through the whole card with you right now, and we start in the lightweight division as Christos Giagos takes on Sean Soriano. Uh, Giagos coming in at 31 years old, 18 and 8 for the professional career. His last fight coming at a catchweight of 160 pounds as he beats Carlton Minus in with a unanimous decision victory back December of 2020. Four straight decisions. He is three and two in this second stint in the Ultimate Fighting Championship that started with a loss to Charles Oliveira. He is the former Taichi Palace fights and RFA lightweight champion. Soriano, 31 years old, 14 and 6, 11 stoppage finishes for the career. He's been submitted four times, has yet to be knocked out. His last fight, a win at 
UAE Warriors 18 back in March. It was a catch weight at 150 pounds. His third straight win. He has gone 6-3 since, be, uh, since being cut from the Ultimate Fighting Championship in 2015. So this is his second go-around. He is taking this fight on short notice. And I... I actually like him in this fight. Uh, he is the underdog right now at plus 175, opened at plus 180, so a little bit coming in on him. Giagos is pretty well minus 20, uh, minus 220, sorry, across the board. Just nothing from Giagos has really impressed me. And, and I think Soriano is one of those guys who had to take a step back to take two steps forward. And I think we see one of those steps forward tonight. So I, I kind of like the upset pick here with Soriano. In the featherweight division, Kevin Aguilar takes on Tucker Lutz. Aguilar, 32 years old, with a professional record of 17 wins and four defeats. He has stopped 11 of those victories. His last fight, a split decision loss back in June of 2020 against Charles Rosa on an Ultimate Fight Night. It was his third loss in a row after a nine-fight winning streak. Lutz comes in at 26 years old, 11-1 for the career. His last victory, or his last fight, sorry, coming on Dana White's Contender Series back in November, a unanimous decision win. He has back-to-back -back wins on Dana White's Contender Series, now getting that opportunity. Lutz coming in, he opened as a minus-134 favorite that has been bet down a little bit minus 120 appears to be the best odds you can get him at if you are liking Aguilar you can get him as high as plus 110 at Caesars Palace I, I'm going with the favorite here I, I am going with lots it, it just kind of feels like it is his time and Aguilar kind of feels like he has stalled and he is on his way out I, I would suggest if this fight goes the way I believe it will I think Aguilar is done for this go around in the Ultimate Fighting Championship. In the women's flyweight division, Gina Mazzani taking on Priscilla Cacoera. But Mazzani coming in at 7-4. Five of those victories have been finished, including her last one back in November over Rachel Ostovich, a knockout in the third round. She's 2-1 in her last three. The judges have been required for none of those and haven't been required in a Mazzani fight since 2018. For Cacoera, her last victory coming on Ultimate Fight Night 168, 32 years old. That victory over uh, Shayna Dobson, the fastest finish in women's flyweight history in the UFC. This is her first fight during the pandemic. She had a fight called off in October because of a weight cutting issue. So Kakoera is going to fight zero fights in front of zero fans. It's great. Like her, her first or her last fight came just before the pandemic started. And now this one is coming as it starts to wind down from an ultimate fighting championship standpoint. It is basically over as they are once again going to a full capacity arena. So it's, it's interesting. I, from a human element standpoint, want to pick Kakawera as she has had just an unbelievable road to get to this point. She was a volleyball player in school and had to leave the team because she got stabbed. She was uh, molested as a child. She kind of bounced around family to family, it seemed like, and developed a crack cocaine addiction in her 20s until her mom finally stepped in, showed her martial arts, and from all accounts, that seems to have turned her life around. So, an incredible human story, but I I, I feel like a bad person, but I'm taking Mazzani, one of the biggest favorites on this card, at minus 220. You can get her at minus 210 at Caesars Palace. That seems to be the best place there. If you're into the human element, Kakawera at plus 185 on AG. but I, I like Mazzani in that fight. Moving on into the middleweight division, a fight I'm pretty interested in. Jordan Wright taking on Jamie Pickett. This one, essentially a pick'em across the board. Wright coming in at 11-1 with one no contest. The judges have not been required for any of his fights, including his last one, a knockout loss at UFC 255. That ended a two-fight winning streak for him after a win in his UFC debut. Every fight he has been in has ended in the first round except for two. One of those finished 18 seconds into the second round, the other 48 seconds into the second round. This guy hasn't been in a fight that's lasted six minutes in his pro career, and he's been a pro since 2014. For the Nightwolf, Pickett, which is the best nickname on this card, 11-5, and five, judges not really required for a lot of his fights. They were for his last one, though, a decision loss back in December in what was his UFC debut after 
I would suggest probably a frustrating run of going one and two on Dana White's contender series. He had won two in a row before that loss in his UFC debut. He also started his career one and two, and I love that about this guy. We talked about it, I believe, with Anthony Smith on the last preview show. I love seeing someone fight through adversity during their career. And I understand you're getting punched in the face for a living. So there is these people are already dealing with more adversity than I deal with in my day-to-day life. But when you see someone who has an upside-down record coming in at one and two, and they keep fighting through it, and then he goes on this incredible run, gets that record back to where it's supposed to be, but then Dana White's Contender Series, a couple of setbacks, finally gets that win, gets to the Ultimate Champion, uh, gets to the Ultimate Fighting Championship. I love that about him. Um, Unfortunately, I think he's going to lose. Uh, I I have Jordan right here. I think the explosive finishes continue and a little surprised. Uh, Again, you're going up against Pickett, who's never been knocked out. He has two submission losses and three decision losses in the the five times he's been on the wrong end of a decision in his mixed martial arts career. So someone who's never been knocked out, but Jordan Wright does also have five submission victories. So I like Wright. Like I said, the odds are pretty even right now. A lot of minus 10, 105, 115. It bounces around. I'm going with Jordan Wright to get the win in the distance. And Jordan Wright by finish comes in at plus 175. I like that a lot. So that that is definitely going to be one of the picks I click coming up this weekend. We move to the flyweight division and the 11th ranked Andrea Lee taking on the 12th ranked Antonina Shevchenko. Lee, 32 years old, 11 and 5, most of all of those coming by decision, including a decision loss back in September to Roxanne Matafari. It was her third straight decision loss following a seven fight win streak, three and three in the UFC, a run in the UFC that was started on the regional circuit. I was going to say independence. That's not technically right for fighting. Um, As the inaugural LFA flyweight champion, a pro since 2014, taking on 36-year-old Shevchenko. The name sounds familiar. Yes, she's Valentina's sister. Nine and two, three knockouts, one submission win. Both of her losses have been by decision. Her last fight coming on UFC 255, where she picked up a knockout win in the second round. Three and two in the UFC. She has finished her last two wins. She has not an extensive resume at flyweight. Her debut in the division comes on Dana White's Contender Series. I'm going Shevchenko here. Lee obviously has had a lot going on outside of the cage in the last few years. Uh, Her Nazi boyfriend uh, assaulting her and abusing her. And it, it hopefully she has come back on the other side of that. So again, from a human element standpoint, there's a lot going on in her life. I'm going Shevchenko here. I, I just... This is this is oversimplistic. I just think she's better, so that's why I'm going with her. That that no no need for further analysis, I suppose, than that one. In the featherweight division, Lando Venata taking on Mike Grundy. Venata, 29 years old, 11, 5, and 2. You don't see a lot of two draws on a career, but uh, yeah, 11, 5, and 2. The judges required more for losses than for wins. Venata, nine finishes in his 11 wins. Uh, but the judges required for four of his five losses, including back in August when he lost to Bobby Green. He's now lost two of his last three, all of them going to decision. And he has just two wins since 2017. He has not been finished since 2016. And that was against Tony Ferguson in his UFC, uh, UFC debut on a couple of weeks notice. Venata is someone who is an exciting fighter and came into the UFC with a bit of a name, Div 1 wrestler out of the University of Tennessee, Chattanooga, but 3-5-2 in the Ultimate Fighting Championship just has not been able to really get going. For Grundy, 12-2, eight wins by submission coming off of a unanimous decision loss in his last fight that ends a nine-fight winning streak. He's now 1-1 one one in the Ultimate Fighting Championship. And an interesting note, this is his first time fighting in North America. A lot of fights in the UK, and then his two UFC bouts, or his last one anyway, coming on Fight Island. So... I don't I don't think that's going to play much of a factor as I'm picking Grundy to get the win in this bout. I do think the judges will be required for this one. Uh, Grundy, just to win, is a slight favorite, minus 125. But if you have him winning by decision, it goes up to plus 175. So uh, I like Grundy. I like by decision if you are looking for a pick there. In the middleweight division, this one, I will admit, a, a 
full amount of bias on. As Jacare Souza goes up against Andre Muniz, uh, Souza, 41 years old, 26-9 for the career. His last fight, a loss to Kevin Holland at UFC 256. It is his third straight loss, and he has lost four of his last Five, a storied career, a fourth-degree Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt, two-time champion at Abu Dhabi, 7-1 and record in strike force, including winning the middleweight championship over Tim Kennedy, defending it against Robbie Lawler before eventually losing it to Luke Rockhold, and had some success in the Ultimate Fighting Championship, 9-6 and six for his UFC career. He has been a pro since 2003, and to let you know how far back this dude's career goes... I first learned about him in an MMA magazine that I got at uh, a 7-Eleven when I think that this one was, I don't exact know the exact timeline, but I, I was either working very late overnights in Calgary or I was still working in Toronto at the time. Either way, it was a while ago because A, they were still making MMA magazines and B, people were still buying them. So it, it was... It's been a long run for Jacare, and the thing that surprised me has never fought for gold in the UFC. Nine and six record in the UFC, which again is certainly hindered by four losses in his last five bouts. We are clearly on the backside of the career for Jacare Souza. The question going into this is, has he fallen to the level of Andre Muniz? No disrespect to Muniz, who comes in with a 20-4 and record, 13 submission wins, so we're in for a grappling one tonight. His last bout, a submission win back on Ultimate Fight Night on September, or in September. He's won six in a row, two in the UFC, and two on Dana White's Contender Series. Four of those were finished. He's been a pro since 2009, so no spring chicken here either. I, I do think Jacare has fallen off. I don't think he's fallen off to this point. I, I think Jacare gets the win Hopefully, hopefully he is going uh, out on this one. I'm not going, I don't like telling guys they should retire, but I also don't like seeing guys who I grew up in this sport watching getting their asses kicked a lot. And that's kind of what's happened to Jack, to, to Jacare. In the bantamweight division, the reason that we are delayed recording this today, the eighth ranked Matt Schnell takes on ninth ranked Rogerio Bontarin, uh, Bontarin, Bontarin uh, missing weight. And uh, Everyone made weight very quickly on this card, except for him, and it took him a while to not make weight. Eventually, he doesn't, and that is the, I believe that is the lone missed weight on this card, and it's one of the reasons why I'm picking Schnell in this bout. Uh, Schnell coming off of a split decision win over Tyson Nam back in January. That was his first decision since 2018. He has won five of his last six after back-to-back -back L's to start the UFC career. If you're familiar with Schnell, you're probably a reality TV fan. This guy showed up on a show called Caged that I think I was the only person who watched back in 2012 on MTV. I checked, not on Crave anymore, maybe on YouTube or in some dark places on the internet. Also, an Ultimate Fighter alum, as he won the Legacy FC Flyweight Championship, moved to Bantamweight to get on to the Ultimate Fighter show, and he was on the Tough Champions season, losing in the quarterfinals of that show. But again, someone who took a bit of a long road to get to this point, he is a karate black belt. He faces Bontarin, who again, had trouble with the weight cut. He does eventually miss, so he will lose 20% of his purse. He also lost his last fight, a knockout loss to Kaikara France back at UFC 259 it was his second straight loss that now has him at 2-2 two and two in the UFC. He is a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt. I just feel like because it's not like he missed weight by a bunch and then it was just like, ah, fuck it. This was someone who tried very, very hard to make that weight and couldn't. That is always a red flag for me. I am going to go with Schnell on this one. The odds... Probably going to change rather rapidly around this fight. And actually, as I'm looking for them right now, uh, you cannot even find the odds for it. So things are changing because of the, the weight cutting issues, or I'm just really bad at searching for things. Either way, I think uh, Matt Schnell ends up getting the win. I, I just, I get worried about those types of weight cutting issues. In the featherweight division, ninth ranked Shane Burgos takes on 13th ranked Edson Barbosa. Burko, uh, Burgos, sorry, trains at Tiger Shulman MMA, 30 years old, 13 and two for the career with one of those losses coming in an absolute banger back in June against Josh Emmett. That ended a three fight winning streak for him. He is six and two in the Ultimate Fighting Championship. Barbosa with one of the best knockouts in UFC history on his resume, one of the most feared strikers 
in the history of the lighter weight classes, I would suggest, comes in at 21-9, and nine, coming off of a unanimous decision win back in October. His last three fights have all needed decisions, and that win in his last bout ends a three-fight losing streak. He is 2-5 and five in his last seven, although he is 1-1 one and one since moving to featherweight. 15-9 uh, and nine in the UFC. We're seeing, like I mentioned before, Jacare has been around the block a time or two. Um, so is Edson Barbosa. 15 and 9 in the UFC. That's a lot of fights in the Ultimate Fighting Championship. This is UFC 262. He debuted at UFC 123. Rampage Jackson was facing Leona Machida on that card. The division that Barbosa's fighting in now only had a champion that weekend in the UFC. It was at that fight week that Dana White presents Jose Aldo with the UFC's featherweight title after he reigned supreme in WEC for all of those years. So Barbosa started in the UFC the same time the division he's fighting in now started. That is a very long time ago. It is a storied run for Barbosa, but as mentioned, he is kind of falling off a little bit. Burgos has crazy power, and he is a technical striker with his offense. On defense, he has some issues, and those came through in the uh, Josh Emmett fight. I think Barbosa five years ago was able to take advantage of that. I don't think Barbosa now is able to. I, I think that Burgos is going to be able to walk Barbosa down, and while, again, the, the striking defense, a bit of an issue, Burgos is going to have a half-inch reach advantage. They are about the same height. Burgos just kind of feels a little bit bigger. Like, Burgos looks like a welterweight in there. Th that fight against Emmett, if you would have said, oh, yeah, this fight's in middleweight, I could see it. Like, a very big frame for 145 pounds. Eventually, he has said he's going to move up to 155, but apparently, uh, according to reports this week, everything seems fine from a weight cut perspective. I think he gets the job done here. I, I think that... Hopefully he learns some of the lessons from the, the Josh Emmett fight, but I, I just, I don't know if Barbosa has the power anymore to take advantage of the weaknesses of Burgos. There is, if you were fighting a prime Edson Barbosa, I think Barbosa kicks his face off. The, the defense just was not there for Burgos. He did not use the reach advantage that he had in that fight. He has a good jab and he has a powerful jab, but it, it just... It just didn't, I wasn't very impressed with him in that, but none of the things that worry me about him, Barbosa can take advantage of, if that makes sense. Burgos coming in as a minus 140 favorite, Barbosa hanging around at plus 120 as an underdog. We go to the flyweight division, a fight I am fascinated by. Caitlin Chukagian against Vivian Araujo. Uh, Chukagian, 32 years old, 15 and four, a couple of knockouts and one submission win in there. Her last fight, UFC 255, a very good performance against Cynthia Calvillo, a unanimous de uh, decision win. She's two and two in her last four, alternating wins and losses. She's been finished in both of those losses and both wins by decision. She has not finished anyone in the ultimate fighting championship. Eight and four total in the UFC with all of her losses coming to either former champions or or former title challengers. Arujo, neither of those things. 10-2 on the career. Her last win, a rather convincing unanimous decision victory back in January over Roxanne Marafari. It is back-to-back -back wins, both by decision. She is 3-1 since the move to flyweight with all of those fights needing the judges' scorecards. This fight fascinates me. Chukagian was about as perfect as you could be using her reach advantage against Cynthia Calvillo. She is not going to have that same reach advantage in this fight, but she is four inches taller, and that does matter. I understand like, this isn't like UFC 25, where they used height as the reach advantage. I feel like I remember Goldberg doing that one time. I could be wrong. Just saying, oh, guys taller are going to have an advantage. That's not always the case, but in this fight, Chukagian, because of the way she fights, just being taller gives her that advantage and she can keep Arujo away. The problem was when she didn't keep Calvillo at distance, she had no defense whatsoever. It's like she had that front line of defense and then nothing to back it up. Once once Calvillo got in, she just basically, well, credit to her, I'm screwed now. That's basically what it was. Calvillo was able to land some flush shots. I think Arujo is going to do the same thing. And the difference is Arujo has a ton of power behind those punches. I understand all four of her fights have gone the distance so far, 
and I, I do think that this one has a, the, the, the opportunity to go the distance again, but I just feel like this is going to be one of those ones where it's a little bit difficult to score because Shukagin is going to have a lot of volume and is a very tech. It's weird. This is a, a couple of ones where you say, okay, they're technically sound. They just can't defend it all. And that, that would suggest they're not as technically sound as I'm saying, but from an offensive standpoint, the technique is there, but there's just no defense behind it. And once Calvillo was able to get inside and we we've seen that in other fights for Shukagian as well, where if she can keep you off of her, it's a very difficult night for her. I, I do think that Arujo is going to be able to get inside and land the more impactful punches on this card. I, I wonder if this one goes split decision. I think it's going to be that close. I do think it's going to be volume versus impact on this one. I tend to favor I tend to favor the impact on those a little bit more, but it, I mean it depends on the the volume of this one. but I, I do I, I do think that this one probably goes the distance. And I think Arujo ends up getting it done. Arujo is a bit of an underdog right now at plus 115. If you like Arujo by a three-round decision, then you can get her at plus 185. I'm just scrolling through quickly. I know some spots you can get, like, as specific as split uh, split decision does not appear that at least Bodog offers that for this Arujo-Chukagian fight. But I, I, I like Arujo. I... I'm quite intrigued by her as a prospect in the flyweight division. Weird to say a 34-year-old's a prospect, but just a pro since 2015, still developing in her mixed martial arts career. We go to the co-main event of the evening as number five, Tony Ferguson, takes on at number nine, Benil Dariush in the lightweight division. Ferguson, 37 years old, 25 and five for the career. He has finished 20 of his victories and has been stopped in two of his defeats. The judges required for his last fight against Charles Oliveira back at UFC 257. It was a decision loss to Oliveira you see the spot that Oliveira is on this card, you understand the circumstances around that. Ferguson has now lost two straight after a 12-fight winning streak. This fight against Oliveira, the first time the judges were required since 2012. He is 15-3 and in the UFC, a former interim lightweight champion, a tough 13 winner, a black belt at 10th Planet Jiu-Jitsu, and a pro since 2008. He goes up against Dariush, 32 years old, 5'10", uh, training at King's MMA, 24-1 and one for the career. His last fight, a split decision win over Carlos Diego Ferreira. Uh, Six-fight winning streak. He's finished four of them. The first and the last on the streak were decisions. 14-4-1 in the UFC. He is a BJJ black belt and a no-gi world champion in jiu-jitsu. This is another one where it feels like two ships passing in the night. Ferguson is not the same Tony Ferguson that we remember from even just a couple of years ago. He had all the same trash talk this week at the press conference, but he has soundly lost about eight rounds in a row. And he just, he does not look like the same fighter in there anymore. He looks slow. There, there I think is still some power there, but he just, he, he could not stop Charles Oliveira from doing whatever Charles Oliveira wanted on the feet. Oliveira was piecing him up on the ground. He was just working him, and it was so easy for Oliveira to get inside and get the takedown. I do think Oliveira is on another level from Dariush, but I do think Dariush has now passed Tony Ferguson. I think Benil gets the job done here. A guy who I have been high on for a very long time. As mentioned, he has been in the UFC for a minute. 14-4-1 for his career. Dariush coming in as the favorite. Minus 170. Seems to be the best you can get him at at Caesars Palace. Uh, if you're more internet inclined, Bodog has the best at minus 175. For Ferguson, plus 145, underdog. There's very much a chance Tony Ferguson has figured his shit out and comes out and just starches him. Like, Tony Ferguson four years ago whoops that ass of Benil Dariush. I just, I don't think he is there. You even look back, the last two wins that he has over Donald Cerrone, who we saw last weekend, ain't a whole lot left there. And Anthony Pettis, not a whole lot left there either. So I, I understand like that this is going back maybe a little bit, but I wonder how long the fall of Tony Ferguson has actually been and we just weren't able to notice it. I, I think Dariush is going to be able to get inside. I think he's going to be able to, I mean, it's cliche for a reason beat Tony Ferguson to the punch. And Dariush had a real, I talk about facing adversity in your career. Dariush had a real fork in the road moment back in 2018. He had an 0-2-1 stretch. He's humiliated by Alex Hernandez, who does the fake glove touch and ends up getting the knockout. 
And Dariush hasn't lost since. Again, six-fight win streak, something has clicked. He has always been incredibly technically sound, and he has always been very skilled, and now, dude loves to throw down. And it, it's like something in that Alex Hernandez fight really woke up something in him, and I think he gets the job done. And if we get Dariush against whoever is the, the victor in, in this championship match tonight, I, I or uh, on Saturday night, that might be a bit of a jump, but I would not be surprised if Dariush wins emphatically enough that it is going to be a, a at least a conversation. The, the winner of this fight is probably going to want whoever wins in Conor McGregor against um, Dustin Poirier, but if Dariush wins this and then gets the loser of that fight, am I overly surprised? Uh, maybe not. I, I think Dariush comes away with a convincing win here. The, the thing for me, from a, a gambling perspective, Tony Ferguson is still tough as hell, man. And if you feel like it has fallen off that much for Tony Ferguson that Dariush gets the finish. Plus 275 is real interesting when you look at Dariush winning inside the distance. I don't mind Dariush by decision at plus 125. I think that's a, a very interesting number to get with, with Dariush. Comparing that to him um, just as an outright favorite at minus 175. I kind of like Dariush by decision uh, with that coming at again plus 125. That brings us to the main event of Saturday night. Charles Oliveira against Michael Chandler for the vacant lightweight championship, the title vacated by uh, by Khabib because he was just tired of kicking everyone's ass. Oliveira, 31 years old, 30 and 8 with one no contest, 27 finishes on his resume. Mentioned before, his last win coming against Tony Ferguson back at UFC 256 that gets him in line for a title shot. He is writing an 8 fight winning streak against uh, Michael Chandler, 35 years old, 22-5 and five for the career. His last fight, his UFC debut, an emphatic one as he beats Dan Hooker in the first round. It is a three-fight winning streak. He has won all of them in the first round. He has won six of his last seven, a three-time Bellator champion. He went 18-5 and five in that promotion, including a win on their season four tournament. In college, a Division I wrestling All-American at the University of Missouri. He has been a pro since 2009. This is a spot both of these men have been primed for for most of their careers. And it is coming a little bit later in the career for both of them. But when Charles DeBronx came into the UFC, a lot of people said, okay, well, this dude's fighting for a belt at some point. And you see Michael Chandler in some of the wars he was with, he was in with Eddie Alvarez, and it's okay. If this guy gets to the UFC, this dude's fighting for a UFC title. And again, it happens a little bit later for both of them. Oliveira, this is his 27th fight in the UFC. For Chandler, he has been a pro for 12 years. And it just shows, even with all of this high-level potential that a lot of people saw in both of these fighters, it is not, for many, many fighters, a straight line to the Ultimate Fighting Championship and a straight line to a championship fight. You look at when Oliveira made his UFC debut. It was on UFC on Versus 2. Versus isn't even a channel anymore. The main event was John Jones against Vladimir Matyushenko, who has been retired for seven years. Matt Riddle's in the WWE now. He was on that card. Brian Stan and Takanori Gomi, both on that card. The fight was the only bridge. Think about that for a second. The fight was the only bridge between UFC 116 and UFC 117. This was an era, like right now, I'm doing a preview for a major pay-per-view and already looking ahead to next week when there's another fight card. That wasn't happening when Charles Oliveira was fighting. It was pay-per-view, fight night, pay-per-view. And think of the pay-per-views I just mentioned, 116 and 117. UFC 116 was Brock Lesnar against Shane Carwin, and 117 was Anderson Silva against Chael Sonnen, the first one. That's how long ago it was for Charles Oliveira's UFC debut. His fight was on the non-televised portion of the show. He's been fighting in the UFC so long, there was untelevised portions of the shows. I remember waiting for UFC, not Undisputed, why am I blanking on this now? UFC Unleashed, that was the show. UFC Unleashed. Um, and seeing, hey, maybe we get a couple of prelim ones on there. Or you hope that there, A, was a big finish on the prelims, and B, there was a big finish on the main card so that you would get that fight kind of looped in with everything. It, it was a very, very strange time. And I, I remember going to a show where there was a, a stoppage on the main card and it's all right, we got 15 minutes to the next one because we're playing this fight. So 
go get some poutine. I was in Montreal. But that's how long ago it was. Untelevised fights. And then they got on Facebook. And then a couple of fights were on Spike TV. But it's crazy how long this guy has been in the UFC. And there have been a lot of ups and downs. His last loss to Paul Felder. And then again, he figures something out. And Luke Thomas has made this point on his various shows a number of times. It is easy to see these guys at 23, 24, 25 years old and having some struggles and think, okay, finished product, that's it. We need to remember there is time for skill development in mixed martial arts. And Charles Oliveira is a perfect example of that. And for Michael Chandler, it's just opportunity. And he is now getting his opportunity. But it is just a prime example to not write off a prospect when they're 27. And it is a prime example for fighters out there. You can go on late career runs. You absolutely can. Glover Teixeira, I didn't think would be fighting for another title again. And look where he is going to now. And there are a number of different examples of this one, uh, of this type of a thing. I think it is honestly a little motivating, but really exciting to see this main event. I don't have a damn clue. Um, my, I even, I, I wrote down all my picks and I left this one blank. You have Charles Oliveira, who is a technician on the feet and on the ground. What he was able to do to Tony Ferguson, again, a 10th planet jujitsu black belt. What he was able to do to him on the ground was terrifying. Michael Chandler was just a tank against Dan Hooker, but I mentioned division one, all American wrestler. I feel like because of that, Chandler is going to be able to dictate where this fight takes place. And because of that, I think Chandler gets the nod. This has all the makings of an absolute classic. I cannot wait for this fight. I feel like Chandler gets the the decision and just looking at my odd screen right now, he comes in as a minus 135, uh, sorry, no, uh, Chandler is the underdog in this fight. He is plus 115, Charles Oliveira coming in at around minus 130. Taking a, a bit of a deeper look at some of the props uh, for this fight to go the distance. Yes, is plus 275. I do see a world where there is a finish in this one for sure. But, I mean, Michael Chandler to win by decision at plus 500. Really, really interesting given how tough Charles DeBronx is. So that, that, might, be, that might be the direction I go. Just going to write that one down here. Uh, Michael Chandler at plus 500 to win by decision is my official prediction for this card. That is going to do it for a mega preview edition here of Couch Potato Diary. Thank you very much for downloading and for listening today. Remember, rate, review, subscribe wherever possible. After... I've been doing this for a little bit now. Um, and been away from my last employer for a couple of months. And you don't know where things are going to go after that. But it's cool to see, like, to, to start something from scratch and to see some positive feedback on it is really, really nice. And if there's negative feedback on it, let me know. I I am my, I like to think I'm my harshest critic, but if you are harsher than I am, please let me know so I, I can know what to improve on. Have some big things planned for the next few weeks. Not going to announce anything because things can change, right? But, um, really excited about where things are going with the show. So please rate, review, subscribe. Hoping to do Twitch Saturday night after the UFC and Sunday night after WWE WrestleMania Backlash. Either way, going to have some pretty extensive breakdowns on the show next week. So again, thank you very much for listening. By the way, check out Drowning, the new song by Wasted Talent. They are, you're hearing their music right now. Um, I mean, check out all their stuff, but the brand new song is Drowning and you can find that wherever you get your music. If you miss me, I'll be back three times next week and probably a bit of bonus content as we are into the playoffs now, but also I am on We Had No Idea, a general history podcast. Uh, this week we had a couple of episodes, but the most recent one is on the Oklahoma City bombing. So that's going to do it for the week. Hopefully talk to you guys on the weekend. Otherwise, we'll see you Monday. We're out.